The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. All right, well, hey, good morning. Welcome, everybody. Glad that you're here. We have a holiday week coming up, so I hope you have great plans for the 4th of July. Uh, Here's what we're doing. We are going to conclude our study of the book of Titus, kind of. We're going to read the last few verses this morning, get done with chapter 3, but... Next Sunday, we're going to go back and grab the two verses that we skipped in chapter 2, 8 and 9. So we're, we're almost done, but not really. What we're doing after that as a church is we've kind of got some dead space. Okay, we've got some dead space before I want to start our next book, because the next book's going to take us a while. I'll tell you what that is when we get closer to the time. So we've got several weeks that we need to fill in, but I didn't want to just do like a summer road trip series or something like that. I wanted it to still be us. I wanted it to be the Bible, but I didn't really want to start a little book. So what we're going to do, and I'm pretty excited about this, we're going to take about eight of the parables of Jesus, and we're just going to walk through one of those a week. Um, Should be really good. I'm excited about that. That'll get us through our 10-year anniversary, which is August 25th. Yeah, August 25th. Put that on your calendars. We're kind of starting to make plans for that. Um, But it'll get us through that. Then we'll start our next book in the fall or however you want to call that. But once school gets back going. So excited. Uh, So last few verses of Titus chapter 3. If this is your first time here, I'm thrilled that you're here. You you are not missing much. uh, So we'll, we'll keep you, we'll get you brought up speed as we go. Let me pray and we will jump right in. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Uh, I just pray today that we would hear it and that we would do what it says and that God, you would be glorified. So come and speak to us as only you can through your Holy Spirit. We need you. We want you. We want more of you, Jesus, in our lives. So just come and invade this space. In your name we pray. Amen. Titus chapter 3. Verses 12 through 15, uh, kind of the farewell concluding remarks of the book. For those who are new, Paul is writing this book to his son in the faith, Titus. Titus has a tall task of trying to get the church in Crete kind of put together, but he's got a short window to do so. Uh, It's a pagan church that has some different internal problems and external problems, and we've looked at those over the last few weeks. So here are Paul's concluding remarks. He says in verse 12, as soon as I send Artemis or Titus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. Now, Nicopolis, that means the city of victory. There were actually a lot of those cities in the first century. You can figure why, because king comes in, conquers the city. He's like, let's name it Nicopolis, city of victory. So we're not 100% sure where this is. Most likely, it's in a peninsula in the northwest corner of the Adriatic Sea. Um, the city itself sits kind of inland on this peninsula, so it would have been a wonderful place to do what? To winter there. Uh, Paul's decided, I'm going to winter there. My missionary journey can take a little break. During the warmer months, I'll get going again. I'm going to send one of these two guys, Artemis. We don't know who that is. This is the only time he's mentioned in the New Testament. Just don't know anything about him. Titus, on the other hand, we know a lot about him. He's mentioned a couple times. For instance, in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, he's mentioned as one of kind of the posse that Paul was traveling with. Uh, It says that he was accompanied by an... If you've been with us for a while, you know I don't like to do names, so I'm not even going to try. But there's a, there's a Sopitar, and there's a Berea, there's an, yeah, that guy. There's a Secondus, which, who was Firstus, that's what I would like to know. Uh, those were all from Thessalonica. There's that dude named, that sounds like Gaius, I don't know if that's how you say it. There's, uh, he's from Derby, 
There was Timothy also, who's an all-star. He's got some books in the Bible. Uh, and then there he is. There's our guy, Tychius. And, there, and he also had Trophimus. I guess that's his name. Uh, they were from Asia, which that actually makes sense because Tychicus, he's mentioned in Ephesians as well. And the church of Ephesus was in Asia Minor. So you got a local boy there. And in Ephesians 6, verse 21, it says that Tychicus is a dear brother and a faithful servant in the Lord. And when I send him, this is Paul talking into the church in Ephesus though, uh, he will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. So a personal envoy of Paul's, uh, I'm sure that Titus would have known who Tychicus is. And so I'm gonna send you one of these two guys to replace you. They're gonna take over and then you're gonna come with me and win with me because we got stuff to do once it warms up. Verse 13, do everything you can to help Zenus the lawyer. Uh, don't think lawyer like we think lawyer. This would have been an expert in Jewish law. I'm gonna send an expert in Jewish law. Uh, he's coming to you. Do, do whatever you can to help him. And Apollos on their way and see that they have everything that they need. We can't know this for sure, but it's highly likely that it's these two guys who are actually carrying the letter that we're reading. So Paul wrote this letter to Titus. He handed it to these two guys. And in the letter, he says, hey, when they hand this off to you, they gotta keep going. They're on a mission that I've sent them on, but they're going to need resources. They're going to need supplies. Has anyone ever received a missionary support letter? You ever got one of those? One person? Oh, I said some head nods. So I got one person with a hand up. Um, I, yeah, uh, they need resources to continue the mission that they're on for God. Make sure on their way that you give them all the help that you can. So we don't know Zinnius. He's not mentioned anywhere else. We just know he's a lawyer. That's kind of cool those professions put in there. He's skilled. He's, he's doing something for Paul. But Apollos, Apollos is an all-star. Okay, we meet Apollos, the Alexandrian Jew from Acts 18 and 19, he's all over the New Testament. And in 1 Corinthians 3, verses five through nine, we see Apollos and Paul himself. And I mean, Paul's as good as you get. We see them being compared to one another. And the verses right before this in 1 Corinthians 3, there's this argument going on because there's some people in the church in Corinth who are like, I'm better than you because Paul baptized me. And they're like, you think that's good? Apollos baptized me. And so Paul's addressing this going, you're missing, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. But look at how he talks about Apollos. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? They're only servants through whom you came to believe. They shared the gospel with you. We shared the gospel with you. You believed as the Lord has assigned each to his task. God's has called us and we're just doing what God's called us to do. I planted a seed, Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. So neither the one who planted nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes the things grow. Um, if you're in ministry at all, that, that's one of those little tidbits you need to remember. You're called, you do what you're called to do, but you let God do the growing. And that's a, that's a good reminder there. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Just a good reminder. Apollos is an all-star. He's coming, but he's on a mission. And Titus is told to lead out in doing good works for these men, to send them on the mission. 
He's told to lead out in that in hopes that others would do likewise. Others from the church there in Crete would follow his model, his example, and that they would do good things to help the kingdom of God advance. And then in verse 14, we have really the one verse of meat in this section. And it's Paul's reiterating something he said just six verses earlier, but it's so important. So I want us to hear it. I want you to underline it. I want you to see this. It says, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good? The people in the church got to learn this. I said it six verses earlier. If you want to mark the verse eight of Titus chapter three, he said the exact same phrase. We got to teach our people to do what is good in order to provide for urgent needs. There's urgent needs for the kingdom work that's happening here. And they can't live unproductive lives. It's said a little bit better in Titus three, verse eight. So I want to reread that even though we did it just two weeks ago. He says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And I love this last sentence. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Meeting urgent needs. Meeting urgent needs is excellent and profitable for everyone. A fruitful life will be spent doing what is good. What is good? It's what is needed for the kingdom to advance. So let's apply a little bit here. And I want to throw out some hypotheticals. I'm going to throw out one hypothetical. I'll give you a few sub-hypotheticals. I want you to kind of think about your life a fruitful life or a non-fruitful life. A fruitful life will be one that's filled with doing what is good. Paul's charge, we've got to get our people to learn this. This is so foundational and so important. So here's the first hypothetical. There's someone in the church or outside the church, doesn't matter, someone in the community that you know that ain't gonna be able to pay their mortgage or their rent this month. You know that. It's an urgent need. There are three groups of people in the room when you heard that. There's the first group who goes, we gotta get that fixed. There's the second group who goes, I'm gonna need some more information. I'm not saying no, but we're gonna need to check this out. And then there's a third group of people who go, no one's paying my rent. Get a job. So that's one, and the reason I throw it out there is because it is so polarizing. Someone that you know needs financial help in a big way. But it's not just that. Let me throw out another polarizing one. Children's ministry needs people to volunteer. That's always an urgent need. Same three groups of people, right? I'm in, where do I sign up? Middle group, I'm gonna need to hear some more about that. Last group, nope, did it already, never going back. I'll raise my own kids. Here's one that in Oklahoma we experience more often than we probably would like to. The community's hit with a natural disaster. Tornado comes blowing through. Bunch of, bunch of homes are gone. Bunch of work needs to be done. It's an urgent need. Paul says, we gotta teach our people to do what is good, to live fruitful lives, to see a need and meet it. We gotta teach them to live that way because that's how a pagan world is going to see that God is for them. 
There's one. Anything that would fall under the category of social justice. There's people that are hungry right now. Now, I'm not just talking about third world countries. I'm talking about in Oklahoma City. There's marginalized people groups. There's urgent needs, and they're all around us, right? They're all around us. It was no different in Crete. And so Paul is using an example of two missionaries that need immediate support as an illustration of how to get people to live in general. Hey, these guys are gonna need everyone to pony up a little bit to help send them on their way. And I expect the church to do that. Because as I've already instructed the church, I expect them to be about doing what is good. Doing what is needed. Meeting urgent needs. I expect Christians to be about that. So those three groups of people, right? Let's go back to the pain, rent, or mortgage for someone. There's one of three responses that you can give to any urgent need. And if you don't like this one, you can pick some of the other examples, or you can think of one that you're currently being faced with. There's a, there's a need that you can meet or not. That you, one of three things you can do. You can ignore that need. You can ignore it. Now, Paul would say that's probably not good, but you can. You can ignore it. You ignore it for many reasons. Uh, uh, you were blind to it, just didn't see it. That typically happens because we're inward focused. We're, we're focusing on us. We don't really see what's going on in the world around us. That's, that happens, right? You're just like, I didn't even know there was a need there. Now, you can, be, you can ignore it because you just don't care. I'll, I'll use a less offensive term. You're just indifferent. Yeah, I mean, need to pay the rent, need to pay the rent, but no, it's not really my problem. You can be indifferent and ignore it. You can ignore it. And I, I said because you're lazy, but that's really not true because it's not that you are a lazy person. Like, I'm just saying you maybe are too selfish or even too busy, so you're clearly not lazy, but like, you just, you got your own stuff going on. So you can ignore it. This one's gonna get a little muddy because it's right on the line, okay? This, this next category, it's right on the line. You can engage in the need but in a non-good way. Okay, and there's two, two ways of doing this. So you're like, wait a second, if I pay his rent, how is, how is that not good? I'm engaging. Well, uh, one, you could do so for selfish motives. I'm gonna do this so that you'll do something back for me. I'm gonna do this so that I will get the glory. I'm gonna do this so that I'll look good. I'm gonna do this for my own fame, my own renown. You, you could do it for that, and, and God does care. Like the, the why does matter to God. And when he says doing good things, I, I think it does matter the heart and the why. So you could do it for non-good motives or selfish motives. And there's actually time, and this is where it gets really muddy, so I, I don't want to make a huge point of this, but there's actually time when helping hurts. There's a great book called When Helping Hurts. If you want to go read that book, it's an amazing book of just how do we engage in our culture? How do we do these things? Because there is a time when helping hurts. And I just gave this example, like if they can't pay the rent because they mow lawns for a living and it's, their lawnmower is broken and that's why the rent's not going to get paid. It may be better to help fix the lawnmower that, that, it, that versus here's 300 bucks for your rent, but then you're going to need that again next month. So that's a weird example, I know, but there are times when you can actually help in a way that hurts. But then there's a third group of people who when you see this need, you sacrificially meet that need 
You humbly meet that need and you do so because of the need that was met for you in Christ. I'm gonna pay this guy's rent, not because I want to, not because it's gonna be fun or I'm gonna get the glory. I'm gonna do this because God has done so much for me and we need to be people who are about doing what is good and meeting needs and serving in children's ministry and responding to natural disasters and areas of social justice, the hungry, the marginalized. Why? Why would you do this? Why would you engage in this activity? Why would you meet this need? Well, because of what God has already done for you. Do so because that's what my God is about. God is for them. I want to be for them as well. I will sacrificially and I will humbly with joy meet this need. That's the kind of people that Paul wants the church to be full of. We've got to teach our people to do what is good. But the why matters. And if, if you're tracking with me, you're going to see that this, this really does holistically make sense. And it starts putting a framework around why we do what we do. It's, it's not because you're supposed to. It's not because uh, I, I'm going to look good. It's because of who God is and what he's graciously, humbly, and with joy done for you. It's the why. That's a good why, and that's why Paul gets so fired up about this. This is what we got to be about. We got we to gotta be about this because of what Jesus has done for us. And now I want you to sit in church in Crete on that Sunday when Titus steps up and says, we're taking an offering for Zinnius and Apollos because they're heading down the road and Paul told us to do so. And you go, well, yeah, I mean, I'm all for missions, but eh. And then Titus says, and here's why. It's not because of who they are. It's not because that Paul told you to. It's not because I'm a great communicator. It's because of what Jesus has already done for you. That's why. That's why we're going to support this so that more people can experience the grace and the mercy of God just like you have experienced. That's what these guys are going to go do, so we need to, we need to help them. We need to provide and meet this need so that they can go do that so that more people can experience this grace and pay it forward. And then you're just like, dang it, that's a good argument. That... Uh, it's hard to say no to that. It's hard to say no to that when it's so compelling. One of the things that we do as a church, sp specifically in our local missions strategy, is we try to put needs, urgent needs in front of you, but we try to do so in a way that just writing a check won't quite get it done. Because I, I know the example I just gave is like, well, missionaries need support. Okay, well, that's, that's wonderful. Um, and that's what this particular one was. Yes, and this would, this would require financial contributions. But we try to put opportunities in front of you that was gonna require work and contact with the community and a little bit of sweat and a little bit of sacrifice. Because one of the things that the Western American church has gotten really good at is just kind of throwing money at stuff. Hey, you know, there's 300 homeless people in this community. I'd probably, around Thanksgiving, ought to, like, you know, give some money for some other person to make some food baskets. 
or you make them yourself. And you actually have to go engage a homeless person. Now, I know I'm getting crazy right there. Uh, You know how dangerous that would be? Yeah, it's not that dangerous. Verse 15. Let's, Let's finish Titus, kind of. Everyone with me, and we already read a text that you, sh- you see that Paul travels deep. So, everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. It's a cool way to end, but there's actually some, some stuff in here that's pretty neat. Paul's pretty clear. Tell everyone hi. Tell them hi and that we love them. Can't wait to see them. But I really do think he's throwing in an exception there. Except, if you've been with us as we've studied this book, except for those who are intentionally trying to destroy our teaching. Just go ahead and rebuke them. Don't, don't let them know. Don't say hi to them. Don't, don't tell them we love them. Tell them to stop doing what they're doing. Uh, but those who have the faith and those who are about the gospel and those who see this, then, then go ahead and greet them. And may the grace of Christ be with you. Now, I'm not going to say that Paul doesn't open or close any other letter that way, but usually he would choose the word peace. May the peace of Christ, may the peace of God be upon you. That that was more common for him to use the word peace. So why grace? Could just be that that's how he wanted to finish this one. I mean, there's nothing right or wrong with it. But I also think that it ties into all of chapter three. And the grace be with you. And may the grace that's been shown to you, may it cause you to show grace to others. May it cause you to live fruitful, beneficial lives. Because you remember verse eight? This is beneficial to everybody. And so may you experience the grace of God. May you feel the grace of God. May you know that even though you didn't deserve it, it was given to you so that you might do good for others. May the grace of God be with you. And he's done. Hands it to him. Take this to Titus. Tell them to get to me as soon as possible. I think his conclusion is how I will conclude today as the band comes back up here. The grace of God is sufficient for all of your needs. Okay, we think of grace as like just for salvation, but over my children every night, I pray that the grace of God would be sufficient for all of their needs for their physical needs, for their emotional needs, for their spiritual needs. May the grace of God be sufficient for all of your needs. So I want you to know that, that the unmerited favor that God freely gives to you, his mercy that has been shown, his salvation, his healing, his power, the grace of God is sufficient for all of your needs. And there's people in the room today that need to hear that, that need to know that God is for you, that God has proven that he loves you through the giving of his son. There's people who need to hear that because you're sitting there going, I need some grace right now. I need some hope. I need some power. I need Jesus. And, and you're sitting there and you feel empty and you feel broken and you feel doubtful and depressed and scared and you, you're just, you're for God's grace and I want you to know it is sufficient and it is here and it's available for those who put their trust in him. But then for those who have experienced this grace, and who know its goodness and its joy and its power. For those who are bathing in grace, which God offers, so we might as well do it. 
then may that grace compel you to do what is good. To see the needs around you and not just go, ah, it's tough, man, I pray for them. But to engage, to do what's good, to live fruitful lives. When is the last time that because of the grace that was shown to you, you said, I, this doesn't make sense, but I'm going to meet this need so that I can bear some fruit for the kingdom of God. I can be the hands and feet of Jesus. I can be just a little piece of him to that person because of what he's been for me. When's the last time you did that? And if it's been a long time, and you're just swimming in the grace, but it's been a long time since you've done what is good, then I would strongly encourage you, as Paul did, to be about doing what is good. To be about making an impact in this community. I'd strongly encourage you to do that because of the grace that was shown to you. We're gonna people up here that would love to pray with you about that grace, about maybe some needs that are in your life with people around you. Love, love to pray with you about anything, really. Prayer is powerful. Got communion in the back of the room to remember the grace that was shown to you, to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. But let's do that. Let's, let's just swim in, in his grace right now and let that fuel our good works, our good deeds when we leave this place. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have in you and thank you for your grace. May it abound in this place. May we swim in your grace and your love. And may it compel us. May it motivate us. May it drive us to meet the needs of others, to do what is good. We pray that so that you might be glorified, your kingdom might be advanced, and that our community might know that you are for them. We love you, Jesus. And we thank you for what you're going to do, even this week, this holiday week, as your church goes to do what is good. It's in your name we pray. Amen.